Hello everybody, my name's Michael Nimmo and this is the podcast of the book Around Serie A in 20 Days. If you're new to the podcast, let me explain how it works. Every episode of the podcast is a chapter of the book. Around Serie A in 20 Days chronicles my journey around Serie A in 20 Days. It's fairly self-explanatory, I hope. We're nearly halfway through my journey, and today I'll be telling you about my trip to Bergamo to watch Atalanta. As always, if you don't do so already, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. And if you do so, I would be really appreciative if you could rate and review the podcast as well there. Now, there's a special offer for people who do that. If you take a screenshot of what you've written, and then send an email of that screenshot to themichaelnimmo at gmail.com that's themichaelnimmo at gmail.com then I'll send you a code where you can download the digital version of the book either for your Mac or for your Kindle for just 10 pence. I know, 10p for a book, it's fantastic. It's an offer which suggests that I might be mad which to be honest, living by myself is occasionally a worry. I hope you enjoy what you hear today. I didn't particularly like my trip to Bergamo. If you want to find out more, listen on. Ooh, the suspense, I know. Ciao for now. Non succede, ma se succede. My trip to watch Atalanta play Juventus. Non succede, ma se succede. Ran the title of an article on an Atalanta supporters forum. It won't happen. But if it does... Ah, football supporters can be nothing if not optimistic. Delusional could be another adjective. Hopeful might be the most accurate. That despite all the evidence to the contrary, this match, these players, the guys you've never met, but who you root and scream for every week, might just be able to do it. Hell, even if you win thanks to the referee, although against Juventus you wouldn't bet on it, or some fluky own goal, who cares? To beat the champions and the team that's top. Oh, what an early Christmas present that'd be. Like coming home after work and finding, insert partner of your dreams, on the couch with a cold beer ready for you. Of course, nine times out of ten your team lose, but that remaining once makes it all the more satisfying. It's something that you'll reminisce about with your pals from the stadium for years to come and bore to tears anyone who doesn't care but makes the mistake of listening to you drone on about it for the umpteenth time anyway. It won't happen, but if it does, it's tattooed into the mind of anyone who supports a small to middling team, and is both their gift and their curse. Winning against the odds is so sweet. The nagging hope that today might be the day only to be emphatically reminded why your team is the seal trying to outswim a killer whale, can be so cruel that you'd think you'd learn. But a life without hope isn't any kind of life. So we continue to kid ourselves that when we get home, we'll see Penelope Cruz, etc., and that our team will beat the big boys on Saturday or Sunday. That's life for the fan of a wee team. But what do Juventus, Barcelona, Manchester United or Bayern Munich fans hope for? Another league title? Pah! The last one was only last year. The Champions League trophy? Much the same. 
People take drugs to experience highs that life doesn't offer, or to escape from reality. But would you really like to be permanently high? We boys support teams that always win things. But what do they learn about life and the inevitable setbacks and defeats that it chucks at us? Sometimes people ask what Edinburgh's like, and I always tell them that it's a beautiful city. When I go back, travelling from the airport along Prince's Street and seeing the castle perched on top of an extinct volcano with the gardens illuminated below it and the stately buildings of the Royal Mile stretching away from it, I'm reminded of how stunning it can be. So then these people ask, why did I leave? It's a good question. In terms of the city, after 25 years of it, it all got a bit familiar. I'd seen the same unique landscape so often that I stopped looking at it, and its spectacular scenery just blended away into the background. Beauty has a habit of becoming mundane, which is why we often look for something new, something different. Even if it's not as good as what we had before, our neighbour's garden is always nicer than ours, as the Italian expression goes. What I'm getting at here is that when you become accustomed to the high life, what's left? Give me a wee team and it's almost perma-disappointment any day of the week. As paradoxical as it may sound, heartbreak is good for the soul. So, Non Succede, Ma Se Succede was the title of a blog post on an Atalanta fan's website. Written by Fabio Gennari, a journalist and Atalanta supporter, he was pretty sanguine about his side's chances, pointing out that Juventus had just won eight matches in a row, and that Atalanta hasn't beaten them since 2001. Signing off, though, he showed the hope that football supporters worldwide will recognise. He said, It might not happen, and it's illogical that it should. But football's crazy, and so never say never. Friends, maybe it won't happen. It probably won't. But if it does... One user replied to add, I want Odysseus to beat the Cyclops Polyphemus. I want humanity to beat inhumanity. I want men to win thanks to their strength, astuteness, intelligence, patience and acumen against those who have disproportionate powers of money, arrogance, subjection, mafia connections and everything else that Juve have in their system. I don't want an offside goal, I want a fair goal. I want the Juve fans, when they're leaving the stadium, to ask, who did we lose to? And the city to respond as a whole, you didn't lose, it was us who won. And if that doesn't happen, we'll clench our fists and wait for the next match. Pretty inspiring stuff, no? A little hyperbolic, perhaps, but good for getting the blood pumping. Pretty impressive, too. How many football fans in Britain could tell you which story Odysseus defeated the Cyclops, Polyphemus, in? Or could even spell the Cyclops' name? He or she had started their reply with, I don't want David to beat Goliath. Although frequently cited as the prime example of the minnow outwitting the sure thing, this forum member didn't want any suspicion of luck. He didn't want any doubt as to who deserved it. He didn't want Conte, the Juve coach, to curse his team's Sfiga, which is bad luck. He wanted the win to be deserved, and for his fellow Atalantini to be able to hold their heads up high, to win with dignity fairly and squarely. 
this was a game with a threat of fan trouble hanging over it to boot. There are some matches here that could be considered zero risk, but this one was a code red. It'd be fair to say that Juventus are not the most beloved team in the country, and equally fair to say that Atalantini aren't the most open, a bit more on this later. Whiling away my time in a bar in front of the stadium, I found an article in the Corriere della Sera by Pino Belleri, a local journalist and Juventus fan who fretted over the state of things in his city and of the atmosphere around this game. He referenced the corresponding fixture from last season, 2012-2013, which took place in May, by which time both teams had achieved their season's objectives. Juve were already champions, and Atalanta well and truly safe. Dead rubbers like this rarely end up having many flashpoints, but some people don't need an excuse to cause bother. A total of 68 supporters, 18 home fans and 50 visitors, were given DASPOs, a banning order, but more on this in a future episode, and seven people were injured. Just imagine what could have happened had anything been hanging on the result. But, as Belleri noted, fights between the two sets of fans are planned for before, during and after the match. There are accounts to settle, demonstrations to make, territory to defend, and idiocy to get out of the system. He went on to say that for people to think that this would all take care of itself and get resolved was as fanciful a notion as the idea that a regular person could go to the stadium with their wee boy and scarf to watch a match in peace. Although I see lots of kids at stadiums here, I'd agree that the conditions aren't ideal for youngsters, and there are certainly much fewer than at stadiums in the UK. His solution to this was either to go to the stadium wearing a helmet, which isn't allowed, to rebuild the stadia here, which won't happen for a number of reasons, or to take real action against teams whose supporters get up to mischief. Closing stands for a match or finding the clubs doesn't seem to have any effect on supporters' behaviour, so Belleri wanted to see concrete action against those who perpetrate violence around the stadia. He cited the example of Lazio fans, who went to Warsaw for a Europa League match, caused trouble and were banged up for it. He felt that in Italy, if these people saw the real consequences of their actions and were punished accordingly, no matter their allegiance to a particular team, then one day he might be able to go to see his Juventus play in Bergamo. But, as he said at the start of the article, that day won't be any time soon, for fear of getting a firecracker in the head. Atalanta supporters have a reputation for being a little, let's say, prickly. They had one of the most respected ultras groups in Italy, called the Brigate Nerazzure BNA, which itself branched off from another organised fan group, the Atalanta Commandos. The BNA wasn't averse to clashes with rival team supporters, which found a great deal of popularity with the younger members of the group, but which also caused friction between themselves and other groups in the Corva. This mentality led to confrontations with supporters groups of Genoa, Torino and both the Milanese teams and over the years their reputation as being somewhat calda was exacerbated and spread across the nation. Not content with the way things were going, in the 80s another group splintered off from the BNA, Wild Chaos. This new group's reasoning was much the same as the BNA's reason for separating from the commandos, Troppo Poco Casino, not enough trouble. Most football teams and or their fans 
bear a grudge against one or two other teams. But check this out for a roll call of enmity. Brescia, Juventus, Milan, Inter, Napoli, Roma, Genoa, Lazio, Fiorentina, Perugia, Torino, Verona, Regina, Como and Vicenza can all expect a feisty reception at the Stadio Atleti Azzurri d'Italia. Of these, one episode well worth noting happened in the summer of 2013. During a celebration for the club in the centre of town organised by the fans group, a player, Giulio Migliaccio, rode a tank over two cars, crushing them, one in the colours of Brescia and the other in Vromas. Pow! Take that! A tank! A bloody tank! Those guys know how to effectively get across their message, as long as it doesn't require any subtlety at all. I got some first-hand experience of their supporters' prickishness, I'm sorry, I mean prickliness, in the days before this match, when I was trying to get in contact with people for interviews. Using my normal method of signing up for their forums and then writing a wee introductory note explaining who I was and what I was doing, I got almost nothing but abuse in return. I'd written my little message, then settled down to watch a film, and barely 15 minutes in, my phone pinged to tell me that someone had replied. Excited by their efficiency, imagine my disappointment when said message instructed me where to go and what to do to myself in somewhat colourful language. There followed a string of other messages, questioning whether I was genuine or a troll, with most people apparently deciding that I was the latter, despite my protestations that I don't now, and indeed never have lived under a bridge. That evening, the discussion topic I'd started was taken down, and the next day, my membership was deleted. Thanks, guys! So, there are only two reasons that I can think of that would explain why this happened. Reason 1. Someone said something really inappropriate and against the rules in the discussion. But as that wouldn't affect my membership, what I reckon is more likely was that, reason 2, someone reported me as being a ne'er-do-well and I was booted out. As I said, I would reply to someone who'd accused me of the same thing in order to deny it, but they didn't believe me for the most laughable of reasons. They said my Italian was too good. Almost suspiciously good. Ladies and gentlemen of the court, I'd like to counter this point in two parts. First, I have been living here for more than five years, but thanks, that's kind of you to say that my Italian is good. However, with particular regard to my written Italian, which certainly isn't the best, please don't piss in my pocket and tell me it's raining. Secondly, what? Only Italians are allowed to learn the language. They say that there isn't a wall that a Bergamaskin can't build, because they're famed for their building skills. However, this particular Muppet seemingly found the language barrier too great an obstacle, thinking, as he or she did, that a foreigner couldn't learn their language to a passable level. So, thoroughly dispirited by all of this, I set off on my way to Bergamo. Upon arriving, I went into the tourist information office to find a map. The lady behind the desk erroneously thought I was a run-of-the-mill tourist and gave me a bump about the various museums the city had to offer, which I gratefully accepted as I'd need an absorbent cushion for half-time. It's not that I'm incontinent, more that the weather was miserable. Low clouds hung over the city, 
and a constant mist of rain was stealth soaking everything and everyone foolish enough to loiter outside. This was my first time there, and I'd been told that Bergamo was a lovely city, and in particular Bergamo Alto, the upper part, as the city's on two levels. Sadly, the weather was shrouding it like something from a rather grim fairy tale. En route to the stadium, a total of six police fans screeched past me, signalling the arrival of today's opposition. The closer I got to the stadium, the higher the concentration of graffiti there was. Much of it was fairly generic, but at a crossroads full of police, now out of their vans, standing about smoking and chatting, someone had daubed, in a moment of light-hearted whimsy, solo violenza, only violence. On the other side of the road from this, there was a knife shop, its windows full of knives that only John Rambo would consider acceptable or proportionate. More concerning than this for my gentle soul, though, was the fact that many of the carabinieri were wearing gas masks. Last time I'd seen that was in Bologna. It was confirmed. Trouble was expected. Hurriedly making my way past them, I stumbled upon the stadium and a bar beside it in which I found solace from the weather. In the nick of time, too, as no sooner had I started on my pint than the rain picked up a notch. Happy to be inside, I settled down to kill an hour or two. After about 40 minutes, I was thoroughly bored, and the beer wasn't particularly nice, so I headed out to another bar for a coffee. Another 20 minutes passed while I was waiting to get served, and then, with my espresso drunk in 20 seconds, I duly ducked back out into the rain. But lo, what's this? While walking along with my umbrella up, something caught my eye. It looked like a label, but my umbrella was of the cheap variety, and so labelless. When I actually went to the effort of turning my head to look at it, I discovered that there was a five euro note snagged in the spokes. What unexpected joy! Perhaps Bergamo really is from a fairy tale, and just as Jack's discarded beans grew into a mighty beanstalk, maybe my cheap and crappy umbrella had been hiding magical money-making properties. Despite this golden goose of an umbrella not having produced any more money since that joyous day, this seems like the only logical explanation. At this point, I'd like to comment on the general level of quality and user-friendliness of fan group blogs. I don't know about you, but when reading websites, I prefer to not develop a headache within five minutes. It'd seem that many of the people who created these sites don't share the same thought, as the most frequent colour schemes involve the colours of the club. Of course, this could work well if your team plays in contrasting light and dark shades a la Juve. If, on the other hand, your team plays in red and navy blue, the end result can be eye-watering. Up to this point in my season of travelling, I've subjected myself to reading blogs for all the teams, and the following, on a purely aesthetic note, have committed crimes against my eyes. Bologna, Sassuolo and Atalanta. Although I'm assuming that all these blogs are run by well-intentioned volunteers and enthusiasts for their teams, and so wouldn't like to criticise their dedication, I feel no remorse for naming and shaming them with regards to their blog's appearances. Some of them are virtually illegible due to their colour schemes and or fonts. Some are poorly laid out, and some are very difficult to sign up for. Or, after having signed up, the administrator never confirms your registration. Then, as happened with the Atalantini, 
the members of said blogs don't believe you when you're not one of them. For example, when I went to see Verona, someone asked me for a reference before he'd speak to me. I wasn't applying for a job, had never been to Verona, and so of course couldn't supply him with anything apart from the promise that I was genuine. Needless to say, he never got back to me. Another time, someone asked me for a photo of myself. I mean, Jesus wept. It's a fan's blog, not a dating website. All of this got me thinking whether trolling is such a big problem in all fan sites. A friend of mine from Edinburgh, who in order to protect his identity we'll call Doogie, is involved in a hearts forum, and he told me, Aye, we get loads of trolls. Some hearts fans, but often fans of other teams. Their styles vary, though very few are malicious, but it does happen. Some folk are just on the wind-up. Quite often a few folk will team up and bully another poster over an extended period of time. It's usually because that person's an idiot, right enough, but our board is well moderated. People are very suspicious, though. What kind of world do we live in where people, often adults, spend their time actively trying to antagonise others? What are they getting out of it? Have they not seen how many TV channels, books and thousands of other ways to pass their days there are? Like a eunuch, I just don't get it. Fans of Greek-inspired football teams in Italy, I know you're out there, rejoice, as along with Verona, Atalanta also have a Pyrrhic twist to their history. Founded in 1907, they were named after the female athlete of Greek mythology by a group of high school students. Indeed, on their crest there's a profile picture of a woman, which makes it look more like the brand imagery for a kind of shampoo. However, it apparently isn't meant to show a divinity, but rather the daughter of a Greek king. These roots give them the nickname of Ladea, the goddess, while the fact that they play in black and blue vertical stripes means that they go by the nickname the Nerazzurri, but are also known as Orobici, the Orobico being the pre-Roman population of the area. They've won the Coppa Italia once, in 1963, with seven of the eleven hailing from Bergamo, a pipe dream these days, and Serie B a good few times too. In 1987 they played in the Cup Winners' Cup for the second time, having lost the Coppa Italia final against Napoli, who by dint of winning the league had already qualified for European participation, losing in the semi-finals against eventual winners Michelin. Since then, they've played in the UEFA Cup twice, getting knocked out by Spartak Moscow and Inter along the way. As one might imagine for a provincial team, they've not had a lot of household name players unless you happen to be married or a blood relative to said players. Their most successful was probably Severo Cominelli, who had been the Atalanta player with the most goals to his names until 2007, when he was overtaken by Cristiano Doni. Speaking of whom, in 2011, Doni received bans from football totalling five and a half years for his involvement in the most recent match-fixing scandal, referred to as Calcio Scomese. This brought a sad end to the career of the only player to be awarded honorary citizenship of Bergamo. Another bad boy to have donned the shirt of Ladea was Claudio Canigia, who fans of Dundee, Rangers, 90s vintage Argentina or drug-addled players will remember well. Sadly for Atalanta's fans, the players they have these days, while generally being hard workers, aren't of the same class as their forebears and playing against Juve on a miserable December afternoon 
wasn't to bring any early Christmas presents either. Non è successo neanche questa volta. Before the game, the Juve fans started up a rousing chorus of Noi non siamo Napolitani. We are not Neapolitan. To which someone near me screamed back at them, Terroni! Terroni! Dirty Southerners would more or less be the gist of that. I guess pretty much everyone in Italy is south of Bergamo, even Turin. Keen to extinguish Fabio Gennari's hopes like a flare being dunked in a bucket of water, Juventus set about getting at the home team from the get-go. Six minutes in, Carlos Tevez skidded a ball across the keeper and into the far corner. The keeper, Consigli, would have done well to advise his defenders to get closer to their men, as even by that point it was clear that the home team were sitting too far off their opponents, a fact which they never really got to grips with, but with which the Juventus attackers seized upon. Not that it was all doom and gloom though, Atalanta's pint-sized striker Maxi Morales scored after 15 minutes, giving the home side something to shout about. This goal, scored by their flair player, gave some fans around me the cue to let off some flares of their own, as is the way here. Little else of note followed in the first half. At halftime I was witness to the cruelty and unpleasantness of people, and which football matches often seem to be home to. I was standing at the back of the Corva Pisani, minding my own business, when two guys came up beside me. Seeing that their faces were covered, aye aye, thought I, these two are up to no good. From their backpack they took out a banner, more of a written on bedsheet really, and held it up, facing the direction of the away fans, up behind the far goal. On it they'd written, Merry Christmas from Liverpool. Now, Perhaps I'm being too sensitive, but I'm 99.9% sure they weren't Liverpudlians innocently extending festive greetings to the visiting Juventus supporters. Much more likely is that they were local knobs making light of the Heysel disaster, in which for the uninitiated 39 people died, 32 of them being Juventus fans while attending a match against Liverpool. I've screamed at opposition players before but as a reasonable human being, draw the line well before mocking the dead. They did one almost immediately, presumably scuttling back under their rocks. They weren't alone in their boneheadedness, however. Two minutes after the restart, Juventus's Paul Pogba scored, prompting one fanny, I mean, sorry, again, fan, beside me to complain, No, the nigger! This wasn't a million miles away from the stream of verbal diarrhoea that spewed out of his mouth for the rest of the match, his one-eyed view of things leading him to at one point call the referee to book Buffon, the Juventus keeper, for time-wasting. A fair shout, perhaps, but not when the ball's in play and at his feet. The day still wasn't over for the ref's little book of goalscorers. Fernando Llorente adding a fourth for the visiting fans to keep themselves warm on their trips home to whichever part of Italy they'd all come from. The rest of the game fizzled out, and at the final whistle I made a sharp exit for the train station, Genoa, and then Christmas in Scotland. <laughs>